Hi everyone. What you are about to listen to is probably the first ever interview in English with the one and only Skark. However, you will not hear Skark speak English. What you will hear is a translation that was done by me based on the original interview that we did in Polish and re-recorded in English. Skark felt more comfortable doing it in Polish due to language barrier. His English is good enough for games of 40k on international level, but doing a 1 hour and 40 minute long interview is just a little bit too much. Initially, I was going to, for a voiceover with the Polish interview in the background, but I, I quickly realized that even though it might work for television, it will not work for a format like a podcast. And also, although we did record it with video, some issues with lag, Skark having to switch between his phone and his CPU, and, and some other technical problems rendered the interview more suitable for audio form. Last but not least, please excuse the fact that Skark sounds like Harry Potter locked under the stairs, but I had to differentiate the voices somehow, so that's what I went for. Uh, we recorded it on Friday, right after the WTC, but in all honesty, it took me a week to put this thing together, so I hope that it brings you joy and a lot of information. Let's hear the music. Hello everyone, welcome to yet another episode of Contact Lost Podcast, the best Polish-English-speaking podcast about competitive Warhammer 40k in the world. I think I can say that. I am your host, Tomek, uh, also known as Tweak, and as you can possibly hear, my voice uh, still hasn't fully recovered after the last weekend, where, uh, together with Joker, we were the hosts of the World Team Championship Studio. Where, I mean, with the World Team Championships, if you haven't heard, uh, after multiple hard-fought battles, uh, Poland has prevailed. Um, and uh, what this means is that the awesome spear of victory created by Marcus Miniatures will travel to the country upon Vistula. Um, and it's something absolutely amazing. It has been amazing to be there and experience this. And uh, I recommend everyone just go to the WTC if you can. There was a plethora of factors that contributed to to that success, and uh, today we kick off a short but hopefully very informative series of uh, of episodes uh, that I titled "Veni Vidi Vici," which translates to "I came, I saw, I conquered," um, and uh, this is going to focus on Team Poland and how Team Poland managed to secure that first place finish. Um, yeah, I know it's a, a lengthy intro, Zozo, Gogi, <laughs> that's to you, but I think I am entitled to have a lengthy intro this one time. Um, now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is my distinct pleasure, and I think for our foreign listeners, this is an exclusive opportunity. Uh, you won't get that anywhere else. Today, I interview a person who has been deemed by many as the greatest of all time. 
I'm talking to a man who has been going to the ETC slash WTC before it was cool. I'm talking to the person who crashes GSC like it's nothing. Uh, I give you the one and only Skark. Hi, everyone. Uh, great to be here. Thank you. Hi, Skark. How are you? Are the emotions still buzzing and is adrenaline still running through your veins? Or for someone as experienced as you, it's just another day? Definitely, this is not just another day. Although, I managed to calm down a bit over those five days since the event. Uh, right now, as a community, we are working towards transforming this success into something bigger so that the entire community could grow even larger. And to answer your question, the most recent victory always tastes the best. And as you know, this is the fruit of your latest work and uh, time invested. Okay. And before we get into the thick of it, how is Skarkobus? I imagine our listeners abroad could use a brief explanation on what that is. So, rumor has it that whenever Skark goes to play in a tournament, he's always the one who lives the closest to the venue. And that is because he has his own camper van called Skarkobus. But this year, something happened on the way to the WTC that definitely could get your adrenaline pumping like crazy. Can you tell us what happened? And is Scarco bus coming back home? So it went down like this. On Tuesday, on the way to Belgium, my Scarco bus broke down. It was somewhere around Berlin. According to the German mechanic, the radiator pump died and the camper needed to stay in Germany. I was supposed to travel with my sons to Hungary, but we had to change our plans and we are now set to travel to Germany. Uh, I hope we will be able to bring the camper back to life and that I can still be a local player everywhere I go. All right, and fingers crossed that it works out like that. Great that you can change your plans and, and, and adjust your holidays like this. But the fact that your camper van broke down carried some sort of additional risk with it, right? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, not only the Polish team would have been affected if you had not found an alternative solution, right? That's right. Uh, I was traveling with Zozo and Kruker, and additionally, we had three or four armies on board that we did not want to put on the plane for safety reasons. Uh, luckily, we received help from our friends from Germany who borrowed us a car to get to Mahelen and back. Oh, yeah, Team Team Germany deserves a round of applause for everything they did, not only for Team Poland, but also to members of Team New Zealand and, and some other teams as well. Even ourselves, as the WTC studio, we received some help from the German podcasters from Target Priority because we were missing some cabling. So, yeah, absolutely hats off to our German friends for everything that they did for us this year. Mm, I like to think that this is the effect of... Uh basically the community being closer together than ever before. And we can simply trust each other now. Helping other countries is commonplace and, you know, in such cases. And I think that this shows precisely what this game and the entire community is all about. Yeah, I absolutely agree. All right. So uh, let's focus on you now. This was not your first victory at this event. Does winning taste the same as before or, or was this year different in any way and if yes how was it different i suppose that the success this year is exceptional because it has been a long 
nine years and seven editions of ETCs and WTCs, uh, we have never had to wait so long for a success. Also, the national team has never changed that much before. I mean, only Typhus and myself were on the team that succeeded nine years ago. The rest that never experienced it, and it needs to be highlighted. Especially taking into consideration how significantly the skill level of teams participating has grown and how much more difficult it is getting year after year to secure that top place finish. Oh yeah, this was also an observation both before and during the event in our studio. Um, in in when we were doing the studio, Nathan Roberts and Typhus both agreed that no previous event was such a shark tank of an event with so many skilled players and so much talent at it. And this can be attributed to a bunch of factors like the popularity of TTS, availability of everything from lists through statistics to content like ours, for example. Did you see an improvement in comparison to last year? So I wouldn't say that in comparison to last year specifically. I think that time that was the most influential was the pandemic. Um, a lot of people picked up DTS back then, and suddenly large numbers of people, at least in the Polish community, a large number of people who had not been involved in competitive play before, became very active. Take Pumba, Mycen, or Gito as an example. They existed somewhere out there on the brink of the 40k community, and immediately, thanks to TTS, they found that Polish murder gene in them and eventually managed to secure a spot on the national team and go to an event like the WTC. You're right. So, for contrast and for context, how long have you been playing this game and how long have you been attending either the ETC or the WTC? Oof, how long have I been playing? I've been involved with the game since second edition, so 20 odd years. Uh, back then I played on the floor and chillaxed with a beer in my hand. Tournament-wise, I think it all started around 4th edition, so about 17 years ago. Maybe a bit more. I've had the pleasure of attending every single EDC slash WTC, although the first one, not as Team Poland, but as a mercenary. Mm, all in all, I don't think there is another player who could boast that kind of experience of all ETC editions. Mm, quite possibly. Uh, this is also something that Neil Kerr suggested, that I might be the last one who participated in all of them. That is absolutely incredible. Yeah, there aren't many with similar experience, and even if there are, like the captain of Finland who has been there since the second edition, uh, they had some sort of a break along the way. So in terms of continuity, I am indeed a dinosaur. <laughs> Honestly, this is just hard to comprehend. Uh, please explain what is it then. And I think we'll divide this question into two parts, uh, about the event and about yourself. So about the event, what is it then that makes player like yourself come back to that event year after year? And has the event changed somehow for you? Or, well, if yes, then was it a change for the better? What is it about the event that motivates me? For one, it is the fact that if I go, the games I will play there will surely be some of the best games in that calendar year. And by that I mean the joy of them, the skill and level of preparation of my opponents, um, and the relaxed nature of it all. Let me tell you, everyone should try this at least once and find out that playing at international events is awesome. 
the people there are friendly, open, and it's just the best of experiences. Uh, moreover, even when playing against the top teams, the games are incredibly transparent and just an absolute blast. Uh, this is definitely the event I prepare the most for and the one that I look forward to the most in a calendar year. Yeah, I reckon it is somehow related to the fact that, that the entire Polish community participates in the preparations for this event, right? But I agree wholeheartedly with with everything you said. It was my first WTC this year as well. I went there as a quote-unquote journalist, and I found it absolutely mind-blowing. Things you will never see at singles events, like, say, um, teams which gather in circles after they are done with their pairings to yell their national chant at the top of their lungs. It, it becomes almost a competition of who yells louder. And I won't hide, at some point, this was making our job difficult because the chants got so loud that our mics started picking them up. Special thanks to Team USA and Team Australia who did this uh, very close to our desk. And it got so intense that I was sure we would see Team New Zealand do the haka at some point. Generally, I was under the impression that the event is almost like a, a, a family gathering or something. The amount of bear hugs I got uh, while you know going for a simple handshake, all those shirt exchanges, the the the, the dice swapping, souvenirs, drinks before, during, and after the games. Uh, I don't know chocolate exchanges and 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 many other gifts, and definitely. Well, one of the most memorable things, South Africa's wonderful liquor. Ah, that was so good. But yeah, I I agree 100%. You need to go there at least once, uh, even if just as a mark. And I totally understand why Typhus wants to return there every year in absolutely any capacity. Once you experience something like it, you just don't want, you. sorry, you just want to be there um, always. <laughs> I know that we will return there next year to do the studio again, and I'm already making sure that my summer holidays are aligned appropriately. Uh, this year simply blew me away, and uh, as you can hear, my, my throat has not healed yet from it, like, completely. All right, so we've established that the event is something exceptional and something that we recommend to absolutely everyone, but now comes part two of my question, which is, what is your internal motivation to return each year? Is it, I don't know, sheer ambition? Is it like the willingness to, to test yourself and check if you still have that something? Or is it, I don't know, the joy of defeating your opponents or maybe willingness to help the team? Like, is it any of those? Actually, none of those. I have zero desire to test myself. If my results are good, great. But for me, the most important is the enjoying myself and I know that at this event, I always will. Uh, naturally, if we work together as a team to build lists and things like that, I will do my best to help the team. But it is the sheer joy of playing that makes me want to do this over and over again. All right, then. Uh, tell us something about the Polish selection process, especially that our foreign listeners probably did not realize the fact that, as you mentioned this on one of the episodes of the Team Poland 40K podcast, you were afraid that you might not get selected for the team this year, right? And then and then you went to the event and you did the following. You scored 20-0 against South African Necrons, 20-0 against the Welsh Custodies, 19-1 against Finnish Orcs, 
another 20 zero versus uh, Swedish custodies, 12 to eight versus American GSC, 20 to nil versus Spanish GSC, and 20 to nil against the English custodies. Was your fear about not being selected caused by your modesty or, or I don't know, lack of faith? Or has something else happened between the interview and, and the event itself? Multiple things. Uh, all in all, I'm not very self-confident. And, uh, and I always find it difficult to come to terms with the fact that I can be really good at something. I also see that we have a ton of talent within the Polish community. Uh, today, from time's perspective, I can say that picking someone else probably would have been a bad decision. But the most important takeaway is that we have a long list of candidates that our selectors could pick from in the future. Um, at the selected selection stage, I was adamant sure it could be anyone else, uh, not necessarily me. In the end, the selectors told me they valued my experience at events and um, you know events of that magnitude, and they appreciated my laid-back attitude and the fact that I remained cold-headed even in most dire of situations. <laughs> you somehow managed to get ahead of my next question, but it's very good. So uh, what exactly was the role that you were assigned by the selectors and, and, and the captain? And I'm not talking about armies. Uh, you know, Polish fans might already know the answer, but for our foreign listeners, what was the main factor why Pumba and Duda wanted you on the team? I am a very stable player who always brings the points needed. Uh, I also like to play a specific kind of armies, uh, mathematical ones. And by mathematical, I mean ones that do the most damage on average. They have the most uh, roles and the least mechanics and tricks, unlike, say, Eldar, who have all the tricks. I enjoy such armies a lot, and they do not seem very popular or respected in Poland. I am an asset, and having me on the team is useful because there should be at least one army like that in a composition debate. Um, from the outset of uh, 10th edition, I stood firm by my guard, as I see a ton of potential in there. It is one of my favorite armies, and one that I felt absolutely belonged in the top 8. Uh, honestly, it was mainly due to my stubbornness that we took guard to the WTC. Uh, then. There were two levels of list building. On the first level, I was experimenting with super heavy tanks, uh, and this took quite long, I think, until our final test before the WTC in Mianzizic. The list worked well, uh, but had one major flaw. It worked on only one of the four tables, as it had difficulties with moving through the uh, middle of the table and through all the terrain. So I sat down and analyzed what we were missing and what I could replace it with. Finally, I came up with a list that could be an answer to things that were our main pain points. So, Custodies, Death Watch, uh, Space Marines in general, Necrons a bit, and uh, my list also should never lose to GSC. And it was completely table agnostic. So, in terms of pairings, uh, our pairing experts had full freedom of putting me as an attacker where they needed me. Uh, I considered my small success that out of seven games I was a defender once and the other six times I served as an attacker. Hmm, this definitely sounds well thought through to say the least. 
but before we go deeper into your list and um and and, and your choices uh like your unit choices i would like to stick to the topic of your role on the team for a wee bit more you already mentioned that cold-headedness and mental fortitude of yours uh, they said you never falter under pressure and in face of failure. Do you agree with that? And has there been any time during the 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 the, the, the weekend's event where this trade came into play? I'd say the selectors were right. I do tend to have better resilience and mental fortitude than others, and bad things during games do not affect me nor my game plan that much. I had a single moment during my game versus the USA where my opponent removed his aberrants from the table and then came back with them from deep strike and managed to charge two of my multiples by um, rolling straight up nines. At that moment, I was sure I was down for it. Uh, he was on the edge of my deployment since he was going first, and I only had one turn to spread my army around the table so I didn't get pushed into defending in my own deployment zone. I knew I had to think quickly, but it was a tough nut to crack. If I had done nothing, I would have been pushed so far back, I I could count on maybe bringing five to six points from that game. But I took it easy, gave myself some time to analyze my options, and I did not let anyone see or feel that I was waging the battle inside of me. Neither my opponent nor anyone else saw anything. But to be honest, that was like a single case during this event where my mental fortitude was tested. And what did your evenings look like? Did you do matrices day and night and went to bed early or was there some sort of partying as well? I think it was the best of both, middle of the road. After all, we are doing this whole trip for fun and for some of us, this is our summer holidays as well. Everyone wants to hang out with their friends and have a beer with this or that guy that they have not seen for a year. But on the other hand, Pumba and my son were quite demanding when it comes to updating our tables in the evening. By no means was it hard. By no means was it hard parting like on the last day, but we had some degree of freedom as uh, team spirit and the joy of planning should not get dwindled by Excel sheets and math. At the end of the day, this is supposed to be fun. All right. So let's talk about your army choice. You did mention that you simply like guard, that you enjoy mathematical safs uh, or gam lines. Uh, why not Tau then? So I had taken a closer look at Tau um, at some point, as this is my second favorite army that I have taken to multiple ETCs before. Uh, current Tau, however, has a serious problem. Uh, namely, it does not have the firepower to kill um, vehicles with toughness 9 or above. All their weapons are strength 8. Secondly, uh, as we realized in our analysis, Tau would give up a lot of points from bringing it down and assassinate, which got in the way of getting reliable scores, uh, even draws. The opponent didn't even have to try hard. Uh, that alone put me off badly. I did consider playing Tau with Taunars, as they ignored line of sight and had higher strength, but soon Taunars went up in points by 20 or 25%, like everything with ignored line of sight, and, um, and then GW decided to drop all old Titanics altogether, so I gave up on Tau completely. Uh, Guard seemed to have better board presence and models that could score you points. Uh, 
definitely something more reliable than Tau. Okay, but in spite of all those downsides that you've mentioned, Team Poland took Tau anyway. And you could have opted for armies like, I don't know, Tyranids or Orcs, but in the end it was Tau that made the cut. What made you, I don't know, have the sudden change of heart? That decision was made by our captain, supported by Pumbaa and Meissen, who claimed that Tau was the right choice to counter specific armies. Uh, I agree that the tournament has demonstrated that there were other good options, but luckily for us, Tau turned out to be just enough for us to secure the win. Uh, perhaps we should have tested more, but due to the limited um, time uh, all of us had, we just went with that gut feeling that Tau would suffice. Uh, we did consider Tyranids and Minzizic, but ultimately we settled on Tau. And as history shows, it was well worth to take Tau, no discussions about it. Um, especially, uh, or uh, I, I think it is especially interesting, taking into consideration that it was not a very popular army at the event, right? I know, right? Uh, there were fewer Tau players than there were Guard players. I think I counted about 10 people who played guard and only six Tau players uh, total. Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, I guess Tau was a kind of tech that was brought to the super secret tournament in Poland by the Scots and, uh, and, and some teams just copied that idea. But yeah, let's leave Tau. Uh, let's get back to, to you. Uh, I've had multiple questions from, from our viewers on how this army actually should work. Uh, so what were your tactical assumptions? Uh, what was this supposed to tackle best? And and then were you planning to bring such crazy results? Or, you know, was there anything that you specifically didn't want to get paired into? The army had a specific task of tackling custodies. This was an absolutely best pairing I could get. Worst case scenario in that matchup, if the opponent went first, I was supposed to bring 13 points. Three times did our opponents choose me as an attacker uh, to their custody's defender, which I find interesting, to say the least. Another assumption was not to lose against GSC, or again, worst case scenario, don't lose by a lot. My score against the, the USA was expected. The 20-0 against Spanish GSC was the result of my opponent's mistakes, but I was able to capitalize on. I also played versus Orcs and Necrons. Against Orcs, I brought 19 due to him playing too defensively and versus Necrons, I went first and slowed, slowed him down so badly that he was unable to score primary well. Uh, at no stage did I assume I would score what I scored. I was hoping for 95, 100-ish out of the possible 140. I expected to play two or maybe three games versus Custodes, where I would bring 15 to 17 points. I was pre prepared to play Death Watch and maybe some Grey Knights with a similar score. My final result took even me by surprise, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> All right. So I think it is time now to go through the list. Um, I will try to bring it up on the screen. Not sure if you can see it. I have it memorized. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, let's go through the list by, one by one, so you can tell us what each unit was supposed to do. Alright, so starting from the top, we have Gaunt's Ghosts. Uh, this unit comes with Infiltration and Lone Operative. 
it plays multiple roles, as if the opponent shoots a lot, I could use them to grab one of the side objectives on quarters or other diagonal deployments. As this unit consists of six models, it has a pretty neat range for casting orders for the artillery in my deployment, and the order is plus one to ballistic skill. Uh, moreover, I can teleport this unit wherever I want by picking them up at the end of my opponent's turn and dropping them back uh, in my reinforcement step of the movement phase. It opens up a lot of possibilities like hunting down a lone operative, uh, using a sniper uh, that is part of that unit with damage 4, and it's absolutely mind-blowing against characters. Uh, they could also score a side objective if need be. Uh, they are also very useful if I win the infiltration roll-off because I can use my infiltration to push away the opponent's infiltrating units. Uh, and once I do, I can reposition them back to, to safety with Leontis's ability. Then, of course, I can just sacrifice them to block my opponent's movements and deep strikes like versus GSC. Oh, wow. For 115 points, it would be, yeah, be a sin not to take them. Yeah, and additionally, they give me two orders, which is absolutely awesome. The cheapest orders in guard, apart from Ursula, cost roughly 70 or 80 points. Next up, there is Leontis, or Guy on a Horse. Uh, he gives three orders cast on everything, so vehicles, himself, or ogres. Orders that I needed, and thanks to the command squad that uh, he was assigned to, I could cast them within 24 inches. Last but not least, he had the redeploy, which, after all the recent FAQs, was of lesser significance as it now uh, happens before deciding who goes first. As Guard has many units to deploy, uh, it really didn't matter that much. Once or twice it was a unit or two, but it didn't play a big role. Next, uh, the platoon squad that joined the Krieg battleline unit with Leontis. There are a bunch of things in there uh, worth talking. Uh, one more order for regimental units, so I have four orders at 24 inches, one for regimentals, and three for any target. On top of that, the Voxmaster, uh, which allowed to cast orders at 24 inches, so I could reach things like sentinels, hellhounds, and other things in the meat field that needed them. There was also a mortar in the heavy weapon team, which had one purpose only, and that was give me the fields of fire stratagem to get extra AP on shots that follow into the same target. Uh, the mortar does not need to see, so I could pick my targets freely. And additionally, Core of Zakila, which works like a Kalidus Assassin, so it allowed me to make my opponent's stratagems more expensive. For every army I was about to face, I already had it planned, so I knew which stratagem would be the one that, I that would become more expensive. Usually, uh, those were the defensive ones. My last character was Ursula. Uh, in my opinion, the best character in Guard currently. The cheapest two orders in the game, at 55 points. Uh, she has the same ability as Imperial Captains, so one stratagem per round for free within 12 inches, and that could be a command role, Fields of Fire, and many more uh, that we need in a specific situation like damage reduction on a Sentinel and multiple other options. Even if she was giving just the two orders, she would still be worth her points. Apart from Ursula, all characters were joining units. Command Squad and Leontes into um, the Corps of Krieg, uh, who had two important things. One was the Medic that brought back D3 models, which allowed me to steal an objective uh, as it happens in the command phase. And second one was the Voxcaster, who gave me an extra plus one 
uh, to hit for artillery. If I was getting minus one to hit, then suddenly I had access to this one CP stratagem to ignore that uh, completely. Wow. I mean, the amount of those little tricks is, is, is just amazing. And we have not even covered like 70% of your list. Yep. Uh, there is a ton of synergies in this index, and Guard has a potential for great combos. So next we have Bulgrins. That's a unit that allowed me to find something behind a wall. I could stick to something uh, as Bulgrins are incredibly resilient for their points. Uh, I'm talking 90 points for three models with 4-up inbound, toughness 6, damage reduction, and feel no pain 6-up. Uh, they could withstand or hold up things in combat for three turns. They could stand on a marker and hide behind terrain and not lose it to something silly. Next, I would skip artillery for now and highlight the Hellhounds. Their role was similar to the Bulgrins. They allowed me to push up the midfield and you must realize they are incredibly durable for their points as they have a two-up save and they have a great ability that if they hit something, the target of that shooting loses cover. This is incredibly important if you play artillery as this effectively gives you ignore cover, so higher AP against the Hellhound's target. They also had Infernal Cannons to help the GSC matchup. Uh, great against any infantry at 18 inches, 2d6 shots, uh, torrent, strength 6, minus 2, damage 1. They played the role of an objective grabber and fought for the midfield. With that in mind, uh, we can go back to the artillery. So three Earthshakers, and you might want to ask why these? Because that is a unit that slows down another unit by giving it minus two to advance and charge. And that is crucial against such armies as Custodes, for example, which apart from Trajan are slowed down from 12 to 8 inches. Maximal charge went down from 18 to 14, and this was a huge debuff for armies like that. Even better, against Necrons and Lichgard, uh, that moved 5. Suddenly, they could only go 3 inches, and their advance was 1 to 4, so they could move maximum 7 inches. In my game, the Necron's Lich Guard could not reach any marker throughout the entire game. Ow, that hurts. Oh yeah, that hurts. And let's not forget, strength 8 minus 2, 2, so a good profile for killing your standard marines. Then, we have another artillery piece, the Medusa. The only artillery which did not cover the entire table, but had, had a great profile at D3 shots, strength 10, minus 3, 3. So oftentimes I did not need ignore cover or fields of fire to force enemies' uh, unfa unfavorable armor saves. I wounded most things on 3+, and I could even commit the Medusas to killing vehicles. Last artillery piece were the Manticores. The most powerful D6 plus 1 shots, strength 10, minus 2, damage 3, and this can be um, comboed to minus 3 AP and ignore cover. And the fantastic ability to reroll uh, hit rolls against units with 5 or more models. That was perfect against Custodes. Oh yeah, I imagine any guard or warden brick suffered a lot. Oh yeah, they were in real pain. If you didn't have feel no pain or damage reduction, I would usually wound them five times, which translated to two models, which was an awesome return on investment. Additionally, they are quite tough for, for, you know, for your artillery piece, as they are toughness 10, 11 wounds, so it does not die that easily as, say, a, a carriage battery. Another quite unusual choice for artillery that I 
don't think anyone else had taken were the laser, uh, laser rapier destroyers. They were my answer to targets with toughness higher than 11. Uh, as the majority of my army has strength 8 to maybe strength 10, uh, tackling mothers with higher toughness could be problematic. However, rapier destroyers solved that for me with their six twin-linked glass cannon shots for 90 points. And they are infantry, so they can go through walls and you can hide them. That's insane! <laughs> yes, uh, they are only basic uh, ballistic skill uh, 5, but with an order you can make that uh, a 4. Um, and sometimes the heavy rule allowed me to get it even up to 3 up. Against some armies, they were a blessing, and for some other, like GSC, where they did not play a role uh, in any offensive way, they just served as a fast-moving screen. Yeah, to be honest, I, I had to Google what they look like, because I'm not entirely familiar with this unit. <laughs> they are little shits the size of a matchbox, but very useful. Quite uncommon. Yeah, especially in Poland. But okay, I learned something. They are just a better heavy weapon team. Initially, I played three of them in single model units, but then I came to the conclusion that they are actually worth taking in maximum numbers, uh, because they do kill if you let them. Another thing in the list were the regimental attaches. Three single dudes added to a platoon command squad, so, I mean, the, the Krieg unit. That is the fleet officer, who simply served as ablative wounds as he normally buffs planes, which I didn't take. Planes, by the way, in this edition are just so bad that even with an officer, yeah, it wouldn't help them. Uh, so the main reason why they are there is the Astropaths. Uh, that is a model that pushes away deep strikes like uh, Space Marine Infiltrators. He is perfect for pushing away GSC or the Incarnate. Uh, at the end, he came useful in the GSC matchup, but the most important dude in that squad was the Master of Ordnance, who, if he sees a target within 30 inches, gives the artillery sustained hits, so my artillery with blast could potentially have both sustained and lethal hits, so the damage could skyrocket easily. Mental, simply mental, how much awesome synergy and, and like how much you can squeeze out of this book and Forge World. Yep. And one last thing that each Imperial Guard army needs are Sentinels. This is a unit which is an absolute best. Uh, it chooses a unit that it sees within 18 and gives rerolls of 1 to hit. Additionally, if I am using indirect, I don't suffer the penalty for no loss shooting. The amount of enemies caught off guard by the fact that I am hitting them on 3s, you wouldn't believe. And of course, you can resurrect them because they have the regimental keyword, and this was my most revived unit. Usually they returned in the enemy's deployment zone, so they saw everything again, and they could steal an objective, do homewares, and many, many other things. Yeah, although, as we know, you opted to use something else for homewares. Oh, that, that is a separate story. Oh, yeah, we will definitely get there. Uh, all right, tell me then, as we are done with the list, it was mentioned many times before that the time to get familiar with other teams' lists was scarce. I mean, everyone had the same amount of time, but it was very limited time. It was clear that the team that manages to study the lists most efficiently probably would be destined to win the event. Do you think that your opponents understood what your list does when, when they were pairing into you? Or not so much? Honestly, I don't think they understood it fully. 
there were other artillery lists like the English one with 11 artillery pieces, but this came at the cost of board presence. Um, no one else took as many hellhounds, maybe just single ones. Uh, only the French had bullgrins, uh, and no one else had laser rapier destroyers. The rest was pretty standard ac across all the card lists. Um, I think they understood how artillery works and how it combos, but I like to think I went a step further and I took what in military you call combined arms, or combined arms regiments. So I cranked it up to 11. Um, I had those attaches, scout sentinels, hellhounds, and all that increased my damage output. Uh, we had a question from one of our listeners, uh, Nurgle Matthew, and I quote, Congrats, Skark. Uh, I would like to hear what your reps looked like with the list and how has the list changed over time? Uh, I think we partially answered this, uh, but before list submission deadline, have you looked at the list and thought, that is it? Or like, did you feel that something uh, more could be squeezed in, perhaps? Um, I always have doubts if I could could have squeezed in more and improved something even more. I always analyze those things, but only the tournament verifies. How did I build the list? So I started with the super heavy tank. Uh, then I dropped it after Mienzyrzecz tournament, and I played around three or four games before list submission. I really spent a lot of time analyzing what I would need before uh, settling on the final version on the, of the list. Uh, what I always repeat is, uh, it's not important how much time or how many games you play with a list, but how much time you devote to the analysis, what you want to achieve with your list. And what about your list building in general? When, when you build a list for guard or tau, do you observe foreign metas and lists and do you look for inspiration there? Or do you rather rely on your own knowledge of books, units, armies, etc.? Uh, both. I follow the international and Polish meta and analyze them. It is always interesting. So you, you could have 100 people looking at a list and all of them have different takeaways. I always encourage people in Poland to, and now abroad, do steal ideas and modify them. Add your own twists to ready lists. There is nothing wrong about that. Okay. Uh, next question is from David Gaylard from Team Ignite and team New Zealand. I think he's considering stealing your list because he wants to know if this list would work equally well in singles as it did in teams. Yeah, I had the same question while I was doing the interview for Team Poland yesterday. Yeah, I had like five people asking this as well. I believe that if you manage to get into top three at a competitive singles event with this list, it would be a massive success. Uh, this is not really a list that works well in singles, and I generally think that getting into top three with guard is a huge success on its own. It is a noticeably weaker army in singles uh, than in teams. Um, yeah, overall, compared to other top armies, it doesn't do that well. Yeah, I, I reckon if you remove the biggest predators, such as Elder or GSC, built for singles, perhaps some more armies then perhaps it would work well. But as long as they are there and, and you just cannot bypass them by pairing into something else, like in, can in teams, then you can easily trip up and fall. Correct. Uh, this was totally built to do specific tasks, like most team uh, lists. 
but I don't know if you can build a much better list for singles. Perhaps with player place terrain, you can include a super heavy tank, but that is only um, player place terrain, and I only played one game with such terrain, so I am not really an authority in this domain. Okay. But let's spend one more minute discussing your estimations on your way to the tournament. As a player regarded by many as the GOAT, greatest of all time, did you just set all your Excel cells to green and, and yellowed it? Or did you actually approach it with humility and reservations? And then did the pairings go according to plan or were there any upsets because someone was able to outpair you, so to say? Regarding the pairings, I think it would be better for our captains to talk about it. From my perspective as a player who was in the backseat uh, during the pairings, I think we lost the pairings against the USA uh, as they were simply better prepared. Uh, we definitely won the pairings versus England, and I will leave the rest for the captains to discuss. Regarding my own tables in Excel, uh, I never mark anything uh, green because this does not provide anyone with any useful information. Additionally, I don't think tables should take into account the skill of the player. I don't think any of the Polish players looked at pairings through the prism of opposing players playing the armies, and we focused on the lists themselves. We should assess list versus list. Oftentimes, our captains accuse me of estimating lower than what I actually deliver. <laughs> I, I guess this is like due to that inherent modesty that is one of your characteristics, right? But that seems to be a very healthy approach. I'm not sure if that's modesty. I'd rather say I assume my opponent will play the game perfectly and to the best of his skills uh, and that we could draw. But then usually the opponents make some bigger or smaller mistakes that I am able to capitalize on uh, and that changes the final score by a few points. All right, uh, let's focus on the games then. Starting with the group phase, you faced South Africa, Wales, and Finland. In the game versus Africa, you get paired into Necrons and you bring 20 mil. Uh, was that the plan? Mm, absolutely not. I saw this as a yellow pairing, but there were a number of factors that led to this result. First of all, I went first. Against armies like Necrons, this was crucial as I could use my artillery to slow down their two blobs of Lich Guard, which instead of running forward and getting close to the objective markers, were forced to trudge like four or five inches from their deployment zone, and that was it. I could effectively slow them down, hunt down everything else um, around them, and then get back to destroying them once they actually became dangerous. We played the mission called Scorched Earth, where you burn the objectives and you score in the middle. Uh, my opponent moved all his units to the center of the battlefield, so I slowed down his two main units. I fought for the marker with my sentinels versus his raids. In my second turn, I killed one of the units of Lichgard in the middle, and I knew that from that point onward he would never score that objective again. And when he moved for the other one, that stayed until the end of the game in turn 4, I charged him from two directions with a hellhound on one side and a sentinel on the other for a wonderful little uh, Lichgard sandwich. This effectively blocked him in a way that he could not get, on, get onto the objective. In return, all characters and whatever he had there killed one Hellhound, wounded the other two models, the marker burned down, I left, and he had another 12 inches to get to the next marker, which with all the minuses to move was simply impossible uh, to reach, so he scored nothing on primary. 
Uh, going first here was key, because had he gone first, uh, the score would be more around 12 to 13 points. I noticed that my opponent made a few mistakes that I was ready to capitalize on. I told him about them in our post-game conversation. For example, he always took first wounds on the thralls, so I knew I should always shoot my first shots with AP4 onto the Lich Guard, because uh, there were invulnerable saves. And he always took the damage on the thralls. Moreover, I noticed that he never leaves combat, so his command barge got locked in combat with Bulgrins, so that I, it could never go onto the objective. By observing his game style, I managed to capitalize on his mistakes. Alright, so an important lesson to everyone out there, do not fall into patterns, or, or at least if you do, be aware of your own patterns and try to break out of them regularly. That is possibly the most difficult aspect of the game for all of us. Great, absolutely cool conclusion. So that was Africa. Next up, Wales and Castellius. Against Wales, uh, it was my first game versus Castellius during this tournament, and I estimated I could bring about 15 points. Uh, I don't remember if I went first, but this was a game without history. And I don't mean anything wrong about my opponent, it was simply the pairing that I prepared the most for. Uh, all my Castellius games looked pretty much the same. I slowed down the big units of Wardens, or guard uh, that did not have Trajan with them, I targeted the units that did not have 4-up female pain or damage reduction, I also always made damage reduction more expensive, and I didn't target units on objectives but the ones that were vulnerable due to lack of buffs. I always ignored the units that were buffed, as I always had plenty of other targets to choose from. Yeah, makes sense. And Custodies always have a bad time if if they lose a single model. Like, losing 50 points per one guy, that hurts. And it also could get to your opponent's head really quickly. And it is their pain point as well, that if you have multiple ways of slowing them down, plus they only have one defensive gem that they can use, they will melt away really quickly. So, okay, uh, nothing complex here. A solid win, then last game in the group stage versus Finland and their Orcs. Orcs, which during this tournament surprised absolutely everyone. Did they surprise you? Yes and no. Uh, most Orc armies at this event were built for uh, starting on the line of deployment, going first, and charging forward as, as soon as possible. Uh, my opponent, on the contrary went first and started hiding his units somewhere uh, on the table and, you know, he started losing momentum and ranges at that. Uh, this means that if I swarmed the middle of the table with transports, my opponent was stuck in the midfield and uh, in no man's land. I stayed way in the back with my core and so he, uh, in his second turn, he was able to make one charge with his beast boss into my deployment and he killed one Hellhound, but that was everything I lost this game. Additionally, the toughest unit in the game, Boss on Squig, went into reserves instead of starting on the line and pushing aggressively to provide some sort of um, target saturation. Uh, he did the worst thing possible for him. He sent edible chunks my way, and I just ate everything despite the orcs going first. What took me by surprise was 
uh, that anti-vehicle and anti-monster big boss with uh, devastating wounds. One hero for about 80 points, and he wrecked my hellhound with a single punch. Yeah, he goes through most vehicles like hot knife through butter, right? Yeah, I, I knew what he was capable of, but knowing and seeing for yourself are two completely different things. So yeah, as I said, the orcs took everyone by surprise at this event. I think Pumbaa was also very surprised by by his game, uh, and we discussed that with in an episode with him. Uh, but I find it cool that despite the common belief that combat armies have no play in this edition, custodies aside, uh, there were still players who were able to prove that that belief is wrong. But anyway, uh, you're done with the group stage. You leave the group with solid three wins. Uh, You get paired into perhaps not the strongest team, but a renowned and acclaimed team nonetheless. A a team that is known for their capacity to surprise and upset. Uh, You face Castoles once more. Were you excited that the pairings went that way? Or did the fact that it was Sweden, uh, which is a different caliber than Wales, did that affect your approach in any way? No, it definitely is a different caliber of a team. Uh, to be honest, I am very pleased that after many years, Sweden is making its way to the top again. Uh, it, it needs to be stressed that Swedes came fourth, but lost only to the first and second place. They won everything else, and they beat Germany, for example. Yeah, their strength of schedule was absolutely sick. Yes, it was. But me getting custodies was the best thing that could happen. Uh, The only question was whether I go first. Uh, I think I did, and in a situation when I do, I know I usually bring 17 points or or more. I remember that a couple of the things I did completely surprised my opponent. Uh, What was important was that he had a character called Kyria. If Kyria goes with guard, then in the second phase, uh, sorry, in the command phase, on 2+, she becomes untargetable within 18 inches, which becomes a challenge. Uh, but I went first, so my first target was killing the unit with Kyria. She didn't even have to die, but it was vital that I kill the unit around her, which I did. My opponent played very aggressively with his Kalidus assassin, which allowed me to charge her with my Bulgrins in the first turn. I gave them an order to move further, and I had something like 5 inches of a charge uh, distance. And I just clapped her to death. That way, two untargetable units disappeared, and I could shoot everything else off the table comfortably. That way, uh, two untargetable units disappeared, and I could shoot everything else off the table comfortably. Uh, The rest of the game was a consequence of that first turn. His warden blob went to the middle, killed something, and got erased turn three. Um... (laughs) At this stage, I need to inform everyone that I will be muting myself from time to time because my neighbors decided that it is the best of times to start drilling. (laughs) Tomek, we all know the situation. They probably have summer holidays, and what better way to spend the time in Poland than a house renovation? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, The Polish standard. So, okay, so that was the first match on Saturday, and in the afternoon you were going into a matchup that was a game in my opinion at least, worthy of the final itself. So you were facing the United States. Uh, You got paired into GSC. How did you feel going into that game and into that opponent? What was your mood at this stage? Uh, 
This was the most difficult game of the event for me. Eric was a great and skilled opponent, and GSC is a demanding army to play against. Um, it didn't help that I didn't win the role for infiltration, uh, so my opponent could take his unit of infiltrating aberrants and place it 9 inches from my deployment. What also didn't help was that I had to redeploy my units first, so I didn't know what he was going to hide and I could not react properly to what he was going to do. I also didn't win the roll-off for going first, so I had just a single turn to spread as wide as possible on the table. Uh, all the important rolls before the game did not go my way, and I knew that at this stage I was going to bring six points. Oh, and I think it's really interesting to know that out of eight games, Pauls went first in just one of them. The, I remember when this news reached out at the, at the studio desk, we were all like, what kind of statistic result is that? But, but anyway, back to your game. So, as my opponent took his aberrants and placed them in deep strike, I knew I had to spread my army around the table as wide as possible. If I don't, and I play uh, as he wants me to play, stuck in my quarter of the table, I will bring maximum 5 points. So I moved around everything that was mobile enough, so sentinels, hellhounds and whatnot, uh, plus one flank was covered by the astropath. What happened next was a real test of my mental fortitude, because my opponent brought on his unit of aberrants and rolled a straight up 9 for a charge like an absolute boss, which allowed him to charge into two of my units. However, Knowing that there was a, a chance that this could happen, I kept fairly big distances between my units, so there was no such place on the table where he could get in uh, many aberrants into two or more targets comfortably. So when he charged the Sentinel and the Hellhound, he needed to put three aberrants and a Biophagus between them to, uh, to maintain coherency. With some luck, my Sentinel survived on one wound, the Hellhound, after a fairly statistical roll, was left on three or four wounds. I then fell back with them and moved everything that could shoot into that unit uh, closer so that you could erase him. Oh, no, no, no. Not erase. Because on four up, they could come back. So I reduced the unit to three models and went in with the Ogryn to keep, it, uh, keep him there for a turn or two. Um, another thing to consider when playing GSC... Uh, these are one of not many games when I can pick fixed secondaries. So I always go for assassination, because there is a flock of characters. And after talking to my son, I chose teleport homewards, because from the first turn, I can do it in the middle. Later, we pushed each other back and forth. I pushed him from the markers on the side, uh, and if I remember correctly, in that mission there was no objective in the middle. Only the ones um, to the sides and the ones in your deployments. So I scored mine, he scored his, I forced him to put lots of models on the objectives, so, uh, sorry, uh, many objectives to the side, so he needed to spread his forces thin, and I forced him off those objectives, so he was only able to score them once. Uh, as a result, I did 35 points on secondary, uh, and I managed to secure a small win, 12 to 8. Exactly, so, so you finished that day with a winning draw. <laughs> yeah, by one point. Yeah, I, I spoke to Everett on, on the next day during the game with the English, uh, but I find it very spot on. And he confirmed that Team USA outdid you in pairings, and that in this matchup it was you who had to chase the result, uh, chase the draw. 
and that it was only possible thanks to the, like the individual skill level of our players. Without that, the, the draw was absolutely not a given. And on the next day, in the game against England, that uh, that we will get to in a moment, the same player skill was used to keep the English at bay and deny them the win. Would you agree with Everett's summary? Definitely, I would agree with the first part uh, and our pairings against the USA. Against England, we had good pairings and they just couldn't catch up with us. All right. So let's now move on to the last day. What was your mood leaving the hole after the game versus the USA? Was that relief or disappointment? Because, I don't know, maybe you could have done something more. I think we were very happy knowing what pairings we had. Uh, we realized that a draw would be a good result with those pairings. Uh, some of them went bad, some of them so-so. So achieving a draw made us very happy because we were still in the game with a tiny point advantage over the United States of like 13 or 14 points. Uh, we knew that in this situation it was them who would have to fight for points and make sure that they win their games. Uh, also, uh, it gave us a lot of psychological comfort. If you assume you need to get a draw and you do get it, you leave the hole uh, with a feel feeling of accomplishment. On the other hand, if we had uh, amazing pairings and a draw was below expectations, our moods probably would have been different. Okay. So this score shaped the next pairing in a way that you ended up playing Spain. And once again, you are facing GSC, and you end up scoring 20 to nil. What the heck happened there? Oh boy, uh, a lot happened there. Uh, so my estimations against GSC with aberrations uh, changed to yellow after the, the, the first GSC game. But my captain said, okay, you did it once. Even when your opponent went first, show me you can do it again. Uh, and I knew that this would help them pair the rest of the team more comfortably. And I said, sure. If this is what you need, let me add him. I take. I take. I take one for the team. Um, and this game was the opposite of what I experienced with the States. Uh, I won the roll-off to infiltrate my units first, which meant that it was my opponent that needed to reposition his units. Uh, and everything that went to my disadvantage the day before went in my favor this time. Additionally, my opponent committed multiple, uh, multiple mistakes that Eric did not make. So after the second turn of this game, I knew it was going well. I just didn't know how well. Due to me going first, I allowed my sentinels to move around the flanks. One sentinel on the left flank was able to do homewards in the second turn, as we were playing on those triangular deployments that start in the middle of the short edge and went to the far away corner of the table. Uh, there is a spot where I need to cover 22 inches of distance and Basically, you can do homers for four points a turn. This allowed me to score very nicely. Also, uh, he deployed one, one of his most important units in the game against me, so his saboteurs, way too aggressively. As a result, he lost all of, all, all of them by turn three, and those were all of his units that had lone operatives, so something resistant to my artillery shooting. All of them died to sentinels. They got shot with plasma, then tank shot, shocked and hit with a mortal in combat, and they went back to the box. In the second turn, he decided to ignore one of the flanking sentinels. Uh, in turn, the sentinel went into his deployment and destroyed a blip, 
which to me was a dream come true. It was kind of funny as at that stage he goes and puts down his blips again and I go, all right, so my sentinel goes here without orders on a two plus it is within nine inches of this blip and on a four up it is within nine inches of that one. At, at that stage I saw my opponent's leg, legs go soft. Uh, in the second turn a sentinel eats up his blips. So I rolled out what I declared and I rolled the worst possible result which is a two. Uh, that meant that I can only reach, or I could only reach one of those uh, blips. It was not worth a reroll, so I didn't, and I went with burning just one blip, but he had to take care of that sentinel now. And naturally, he did, without issues. But from that point onward, he was very conservative with his blips, placing them in his corners carefully, so that my random pack of bullgrins with bonuses to move, or another sentinel, or hellhound, uh, didn't run to his deployment to step on those manhole covers so his miners wouldn't be able to jump out. So, so at this stage you won the mind games, you were in his head, uh, he, was, he was pushed back into his deployment. Basically, the table was yours. Yes, uh, I played my game, and if my opponent wanted to keep up and stay in the game, he needed to use his resources to protect his units on objectives. This led to him not having enough CP for offensive use, which in turn meant that my units were not dying uh, quickly, so I could pressurize him even more. Uh, he again needed to spend resources to survive, so I, I can say I was essentially dictating the flow of the game from turn 1. It also helped that I decided to play aggressively and kill his aberrants on turn 2, and luckily for me they didn't come back. Had they come back, uh, I would have had to kill them uh, again, and that would definitely help him to get back into the game. To add insult to injury, up until turn 4, um, my opponent always remembered to measure distances for uh, Gaunt's Ghost's teleportation. In the 4th turn, he unfortunately forgot, so at the end of his turn, I picked up the ghosts, and yeah, he sees his 3 blips in his corner and my ghosts about to come down on them via teleport. So the blips, they start escaping because the Nexus can move them around towards my lines. So the blips start moving away, the ghosts come down, they burn two of the blips, and the third one got smashed by Ogrins that got bonus movement. <laughs> Cue Benny Hill music? Exactly! At, uh, at the end, in the fourth turn, one hellhound burned four blips in one go. He was trying to move them to the side because he was out of room, and this was what sealed the game. <laughs> the way you describe it sounds more like, I don't know, whack-em-all than 40k. <laughs> That's precisely how it felt. Uh, I, I was happy in this game because from turn one we played the game on my conditions. He had to play defensively and in such a way that he couldn't maximize his uh, offensive potential. The game didn't look like a 20-0 at, at the time, but it felt like a strong 15. So you tabled him in the end, right? Quite uncommon at this, late, at this um, stage of the event? Oh, no, on the contrary, all the Custodes games were tables as well, but to table an army that keeps returning without end, yeah, that is quite something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that for the Polish players, you made history at that event. So you finished the round very happy, but with a view to facing the team overflowing with celebrities, overflowing with talent, with extremely powerful lists. How did you feel going into that round against England? 
we were afraid of making the same mistakes we've been making for the last eight years. Uh, we knew that Team USA ended their game with a draw. Uh, we knew that if we drew this next round, we would win the whole thing. But we've been in that situation at least two times. Uh, last year versus Australia and in Salamanca. Uh, we were on the final stretch and then we basically face-planted into the mud in the very last moment. Uh, we really, really, really didn't want history to repeat itself. The motivation to beat England was very strong. And with all that in mind uh, comes the first big, big surprise. They put up Custodes as their first defender. Uh, we give them guard and space marines as counters and they pick guard. I was enormously surprised. They must have analyzed our pairings. Yeah, with, with all their stuff sniffing out how you play and how you can be outplayed. I mean, they must have seen what you did to the other Custodes lists. Either they trusted Josh too much or, I don't know, uh, it was just a massive mistake. I think in their matrices they could see this differently. I, I don't know if they would have scored better had they taken our Space Marines, but what that choice would have done was make my pairing more difficult for me. And that is a massive difference. Yes, that is a massive difference. Uh, secondly, I spoke to Josh after our game um, because I wanted to find out why our game came to be. Uh, and I expected the answer, which was... He had the best list against me. Uh, he had Wardens, so the toughest unit for that matchup, and just Wardens and nothing else. Uh, it was the mission where if you deploy on the line, you are closer to your enemy than on any other deployment. So he put his units in those little uh, corners around the circle in the middle, uh, counting to win the roll of to go first. Uh, he believed that if he had gone first, he would have pushed me back into my deployment and I wouldn't have been able to do anything. And I agreed, but not fully. Going first would have given him a massive advantage. He would definitely go into the middle, turn on his female pain. Uh, I would most likely sacrifice my infantry squads with uh, heroes to buy me a turn. And I reckon he wouldn't be able to, to, to charge my art art artillery until uh, the end of the game. But all that would force me to fight in my deployment and in the middle for about three to four turns, which would make this uh, yeah, a much more difficult matchup for me. And the game could have been drawish then. Yeah, because with, with all those uh, feel no pains, returning models to like cut distances, he would have options. So what do you think about this very 50-50 sort of tactic in the final of the event? essentially putting a lot of faith in a single non-rerollable -re dice roll. Would Polish players, or, I don't know, would Viktor, for example, put in a similar situation or paired like that? Would he play that in the same way? I think that if it came to a pairing like this one for our Viktor, uh, I would advise him to play all in. Because if you don't play turbo aggressively, uh, you get your teeth punched in. Uh, my game against Orcs was a perfect example of that. If you start hiding, you lose momentum and you don't get the result you are hoping for. You have to play this offensively. Offensively on the line or somehow using the terrain? On the line, on the line, yeah. Remember that I usually was able to kill things that I didn't see anyway. So, generally speaking, this pairing should have never happened, right? Yes, uh, but 
Perhaps their estimations looked different than ours. Perhaps they thought that by pairing with me, they get the advantage of playing against Space Marines with something better for them. Uh, perhaps they were hoping that Josh... I don't know, perhaps uh, they were ready to take that risk. I saw that before our game, Josh consulted their guard player, uh, Alex Harrison, and I think it was their common decision and he received some hints how to play this game. I still think that even if he had gone first, it would have ended up with a draw, but, you know, a, a, a result was also a perfectly acceptable one for us. So tell us about the game itself. We know he didn't go first. You could pick your targets pretty much as you wanted. Was there anything extraordinary about this game then? Uh, one funny thing happened. Uh, knowing that I can target whatever I want to, uh, he activated Feel No Pain on two of his Warden units and then used damage reduction on the third one. Uh, one of those units uh, with Feel No Pain had Trajan, so I completely ignored it. The other one had a Blade Champion, so it got slowed down and uh, the, the one which did not have Feel No Pain but had damage reduction took all my shooting that uh, couldn't basically target the tanks. Uh, mind you, he had two Caladius tanks as well. Uh, so I killed two models in that unit and I killed one of the Caladius tanks. Plus, I inflicted some wounds on, on the other tank. I generally use turns like that to uh, get my opponent to use up his defensive mechanics. I uh, don't even need to kill a lot, I just want him to use up his defensive potential so that I can do more in the following turns. And to make these mechanics more expensive as well, I guess, right? Yes. Uh, that's why his initial damage reduction used was free, but every next uh, one would cost him more. Uh, next turn, he goes to the middle with the Blade Champion unit, he moves the unit with Trajan to the side, he puts the more expensive gem on the Blade Champion unit, and the units with Trajan is left without any additional defensive capabilities. So, naturally, now I focus down the units with Trajan, and both the units and Trajan melted away. Uh, the unit with Blade Champion finished uh, with the Champion on one wound. At this stage, I ignored everything else, as I knew that if that unit with, uh, with the Blade Champion dies, there is almost no offensive capabilities left in that army. The Blade Champion that survived scored a marker for 5 points, and Josh pulled out Area Denial, and thanks to that, uh, Blade Champion actually scored 10 points in, in one round. Uh, next, he pulled out No Prisoners, so kill a unit. He decided that it is best to shoot his tank into my artillery, and he did. And then I say, Josh, uh, listen, I have deploy homework, uh, teleport homework uh, card in my hand, and you just killed my artillery. So what I'm going to do is I bring it back for 2 CP, and I put the artillery in your deployment, or your deployment corner. Uh, that way, I scored uh, Teleport Homers for 5 points, and Josh was like, WTF, mate. Um, obviously, this was meaningless, but it was just funny to do. Uh, and even better, in the next turn, that Earthshaker could potentially have contested his home objective if the 5 in charge had gone in, but it didn't, eventually. Um, had it not worked, it would have been an absolute cherry on top. And without it, there was no cherry, 
Just a lot of salt onto his wounds. <laughs> Beautiful. What a way to win an event. So you finished fairly early. What happened next? Did you sit there biting your own nails or was the victory already tangible at that stage? I immediately went over to Everett, who was uh, collecting all, all our results. Uh, he showed me his estimations for the remaining games and I saw we had about 10 points of advantage. So we were looking pretty good. Uh, there was a good chance we would not faceplant this final stretch. <sighs> there was a good chance we would not faceplant on the final stretch this time. And the scores from other games uh, finishing one by one seemed to confirm Everett's estimation. So it was not like we suddenly realized that it is a win. It was not a, a tight win by one point. Uh, there was something like 15 points of buffer. So it was happening gradually. There was no single outburst of joy, like with the States, for example, uh, where we needed to count all the points exactly to find out uh, that it was a draw. Uh, and here it was different, e even though it was the final game. So eventually, a long-awaited victory. Eventually, tears of joy. I saw you in tears. I saw Typhus. G generally, Typhus was incredible during this event, as he spent pretty much the entire event like a little roadrunner gathering results for us before BCP could get them. Um, and when Poland was playing the USA or England, I don't know if you saw him at those times. Uh, no, I haven't. So essentially, he refused to sit with us at the desk. He didn't want to approach the Polish tables at all. He didn't want to know what was going on there. He, he proudly wore the Polish smile all the time. And then once the deciding scores have been given, there is a video of that on our Facebook. Uh, when it became apparent that Poland had won, he simply burst into tears. He'd lost it completely. Like you, you could almost hear the sound of a bottle of emotions being uncorked. You know, emotions brewing for two or God knows how many years since he became the captain of the team. All of that was trying to find a way out of him. Perhaps tell us a bit about those emotions that you felt. Uh, tell, tell us about your celebration. Perhaps tell us a bit about your emotions and about your celebrations first in the arena, then during the award ceremony, and later in Bar Popular or on one of the squares in Mehelen. I think the biggest emotions came when we realized when we did it, uh, when Typhus broke into tears and I followed. Uh, we were the only two players that have been there every year ever since we won those nine years ago and throughout those nine years until now. Uh, those were nine long years of hard work and sweat and tears. Uh, this was something that we felt we deserved but couldn't make that, um, you know, that, that, that final step or deal that final killing blow. Um, a massive emotional load that the rest of the team didn't carry because none of them invested a a as much time into this. A at this stage, I need to say kudos to Typhus, who assembled this, this amazing group over the years of, of the pandemic, brought them up in skill to the point where last year they barely missed it, and we, we came second back then. Uh, eventually, we came first this year, and uh, this is years of his hard work to cherry-pick these people, to work with them. I believe he deserved that golden medal more than anyone on the team, even more than myself. To paraphrase the famous Polish book, the fathers of this success were many, but none of them could stand next to Typhus. I absolutely agree. Oh, yeah, I can only say that my voice sounds so hoarse only 
partially because I'm having a bad cold, but mainly because I was yelling at the top of my lungs, not only when you won, but also when you got your medals and when the entire hall was chanting, Kurva, Kurva. That was both funny and absolutely unforgettable. At that time, Joker was sitting behind the, uh, the, the, the entire crowd. He was offering the camera that we used to film the entire event. And I was handed a, a, a Jay's camera uh, that was supposed to be recording in 4K quality. And I'm still waiting for that recording so that I can upload it and, you know, uh, have a higher quality recording of the award ceremony so we can live through that experience one more time but i had to stand up from where i was sitting at that moment and turn the camera around to catch the crowd of what like i don't know 500 people chanting Kurva, because this is probably the only polish word that they all knew but they really wanted to be part of that special moment uh, and i was chanting with them and then in the evening at bar popular i did my larynx a serious disservice by chanting even more when the Polish national team arrived. And, uh, you know, they arrived in like a, a way similar to a, a wrestler entering a wrestling gala. Uh, there was no theme song, unfortunately, but the crowd went wild and they started chanting like Poland, Poland. Of course, my descriptions don't do justice to, to the actual events, but you simply had to experience it to yourself and the goosebumps that i had i've never felt something like that before so i'll use this opportunity to say thank you to to you to the boys to typhus for all these crazy emotions and emotions that you absolutely cannot get anywhere else um so yeah i think it might be the right time to ask some questions from our viewers and then we will probably wrap up this episode because it's turning out to be quite long, although no surprise. So first up, uh, beginner Sam, a question for Skark, best advice for new tournament players um, winning like four to one, but wanting to actually get to f like five and oh. I think this is a piece of advice for all players. Uh, so not all of us realize which armies we enjoy playing. Uh, not everyone is able to put a finger on their most suitable playstyle, like me and my gunlines, gun for example. Mm, so do look for your style and adjust armies to that playstyle. It will be much easier for you to find the hidden force of the book and to find um, unorthodox solutions. And once you do it, mm, it will be more enjoyable to play that book. Don't try to chase the meta at all costs. Chase the style, uh, the style you like, and squeeze out the absolute maximum out of it. Perhaps one or two times you will fail, but eventually at some point you will see that people are not ready to face a faction specialist like you, piloting an army that is not an obvious pick. And even if you netlist, do work on those lists and add your twists to them. So the old truth that reps make all the difference still stands, right? That and playing what you enjoy and realizing what you enjoy. Yeah, many players need that a lot of time to come to that realization. Me included. <laughs> it was apparent when we had one of our preparatory tournaments in England and Vishnya, one of our prospects, took my guard list and said, what a load of shit that list is. Oh my god. Literally unplayable. Uh, 
because, you know, he would bring like three points tops with him. And I told him, buddy, listen, uh, this army should never land with you in, in, in the first place. It was forced upon you by the captains, right? And he was like, yeah, it felt wrong on simply every level. So generally, I remember those conversations prior to the event last year and this year as well. Uh, faction specialists do matter, right? And it is worth bringing them with you. Correct. It pays off definitely, especially that you can take an army like Guard that is like seventh or eighth choice. Uh, take a faction specialist to x-ray the index and tell you everything about it. Um, it was true for me. It was true for Gitto. I think you could count Duda in as well as he loves his Eldar. Yes, correct. Okay, uh, next question comes from Glarg. Uh, and the question is as follows. First of all, congrats. How aggressive do you tend to be with Gaunt's Ghosts and what starts deployed in the Hellhounds? Uh, Hellhounds are not transport, so there is nothing inside them. Sure, yeah, I guess that does away with the second half of the question. And for Gaunt's Ghosts, I don't tend to play aggressively with them at all. Uh, I have them for two orders, and at times I use them to control an objective on the side if I see that the opponent does not have any combat units in, in the vicinity. Uh, I might teleport them around uh, third or fourth round to and you know, a position by the edge of the table to control an objective, for example, or to uh, kill or uh, negate a lone operative. But overall, they are not used aggressively. That role is played by the Hellhounds and the Sentinels. Sure. Uh, okay. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, next question comes from Kels. Um, so here it goes. For Scar, the Legend, and Goat, who are the best three players you have encountered uh, at any and all WTCs slash ETCs? If I am to assess pure skill and not necessarily sportsmanship, then one of the best players was the German player Braindead. Uh, also, definitely Kasper, aka Uncle, <laughs> Uncle Asshole uh, from Team Poland, and uh, Sean Naden, another absolutely fantastic player. Uh, these are the people I could definitely name. Uh, if I miss someone or if someone feels that they should have been mentioned, uh, most likely this is due to the fact that I did not follow your games well enough. Right, I, I think it's perfectly justified as you mainly focus on your own games, obviously, uh, while you're at the event. Uh, anyway, cool that you opted for foreign players as well and not just the, the Polish ones. Uh, next question comes from uh, Dino Ko, so our friend from Netherlands. Um, and it goes like this. Uh, Skark, will you adopt me and show me the ways of the Polish samurai? <laughs> uh, for the ways of the Polish samurai, I will quote the original samurai who said that if you are winning, uh, you cannot relax, but you have to strap on your helmet even harder uh, and always be ready for the next battle. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Um, and here goes his second question. Skark, uh, are you the proof uh, that age is only a number? Does your age in any way have impact on your activity in the hobby? I think it does. But it is not the age itself, but the amount of obligations one has at a specific age. So, you know, family, children, work, breadwinning, etc. And is my is my age an obstacle for me? 
no, on the contrary, I'd say I'm still a small child, and if legal drinking age was emotional age, then I would not be able to buy alcohol anywhere. Oh, awesome. Uh, and the line about age being only a number, I guess it doesn't matter at all, right? No, not at all. Uh, you, you be you as long as it does not violate the comfort zone of, uh, of other people. If you are 50 and you want to push dollies across the table, push dollies across the table. It's your hobby. Some people like cars, other people like bicycles, and some people push dollies across the table. There is no difference between those. Yeah, totally. All of those are just outlets for something, and, and that is essentially it. Um, okay, next up, Dinosaur Boy 99 uh, Hey, Skark, who do you think are the top players in the world? Uh, you can't just say uh, the fallen WTC team. Uh, so I think that currently at the top, uh, Sean Naden. Uh, other than that, honestly, I guess what I want to say is that most of the online celebrities out there are not as good as they think they are. I played some of them, many of them, uh, and especially the ones who have achieved something and are recognizable, they seem to lack humility. Uh, when I play in teams, I always tell our guys, don't underestimate our opponents. This never ends well. Yeah, no one ever won anything by underestimating their opponents. Y yeah, approach them as if they were the best out there. And if they trip, let's use that to our advantage. And I feel that many people out there have skipped that lesson. Mm, that is spot on. Let's hope people listen to this and, uh, and, and take this remark to heart. And I hope I never forget it. All right, uh, next one is from David Gaylord about his list, uh, sorry, about your list in, in singles, but I think we covered it already, so so let's just move on. Uh, next one, D6Rob833. Uh, firstly, congratulations, Skark. Do you think your list would be viable in singles event? If not, is, uh, is the fundamental concept not viable, or would there be some list changes to make it viable? Thanks and congratulations on an amazing team and personal performance. I think that on player place terrain, probably add one to three super heavy tanks. Uh, on fixed terrain, it should have bigger presence on the table uh, at the cost of shooting to, to be able to score better against armies that we cannot kill. So more Sentinels or Bulgrins, or maybe a Lemon Russ or a Rogal Dorn, uh, something like that, probably instead of artillery. Mm, but also we need to curb the enthusiasm early, right? This is not exactly a top-tier army. It has its natural predators that it will always struggle against. So, yeah, just don't be disappointed if you don't reach top three with it. Yeah, as I said, top three is an achievement with this. All right. Uh, next we have Santiago de Anquin 199. Uh, question for Skark. What was the role of your military list for Team Poland? Were you meant to be such a high scorer? And what matchups were you generally looking for? And again, I think we covered all of that before, so we won't go over it again. Uh, long story short, it was not part of the plan, but we as Polish, Polish team and Polish community are very happy that it turned out that way. Uh, next one comes from Sam Lemon. What does Skark attribute his own personal success to? For someone to be playing at the top tier of competition for so long, uh, this is an amazing achievement. I would love to hear why Skark thinks he has stayed so good and keeps getting selected. To stay on top, I play what I like. Uh, 
Secondly, don't just play, but also analyze your games with your opponent. The worst thing that can happen is you leaving the game saying, damn, there was nothing I could do better. Uh, I would rather that you discuss the game with your opponent and come out of the game thinking, ah, if I did A and B like this, the outcome could have been completely different. Always find time to analyze your games. Games and your list. And get your opponent's perspective as well. Yeah, exactly. I always spend time with my opponents explaining what they could have done better. Uh, and I always ask if there was anything that I could have done better. Uh, that third-person perspective is extremely valuable for your development as a player. Mm -hmm. Next question comes from Neil Kerr, so one of the uh, tournament organizers of the WTC. Iskarg, is it true that you learned English with your kid to be better prepared for the WTC? Oh boy, uh, my English is horrible, and I did spend some time with my boy who is 16 and whose English is at least five times better than mine. Uh, but he is from the generation that I envy a lot. They learn languages from early school years. In my case, it was German and Russian, and as you know, on a mediocre level. <laughs> so a follow-up from me then, uh, as this is also my observation from the WTC, it, it is very easy to forget that English, for the majority of people there, it is not their first language. Has that ever been a barrier to you? Like, did, did it cause any problems and did you have to put any extra work to improve? I did attend some classes for half a year, one year, when I was supposed to be the captain of the team. Uh, I wanted to be better prepared, but I was never able to get past a certain low level, let's be honest. Uh, however, the game is intrinsically so simple in terms of communication that most of the things can be conveyed with help of the 50 to 70 words, and even you can squeeze a joke in between. Uh, historically, there, there were instances of language barrier getting in the way, most commonly with the Spanish or the French. Mm, especially that they had all the books in their local language as well. Yeah, yeah, but they also had an unusual accent and their English level was comparable to mine. Uh, so yeah, this could co cause some minor issues, but it never really got in the way of finishing the game. Right, understandable. Also. Remember, this podcast is done in Polish because I know that I can easily translate it. I know that you are more comfortable in Polish, but your English is more than fine to play the game on international level, right? Uh, next question comes from Nibla. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Uh, honestly, my kids have adopted two stray cats, and uh, the cats are more autonomous than dogs, so cats is the answer. And the last question from John Cox 1875 uh, Skark, what would you say is the most important skill to master as a new player? Um, this skill is uh, completely level independent. Uh, it, it's game analysis and drawing conclusions. Uh, naturally, at the beginning, it is difficult, but try to find open opponents who are willing to explain to you what, uh, what or why they did something and what you could have done better. Mm. After all, the game is a social contract, so uh, let's capitalize on it and pull as much as possible from that interactions, or take as much as possible. Uh, I am always impressed by the English community, where people group themselves into teams, and not only to play together, but, but also to sort of bounce ideas off one another, pick each other's brains a bit. In Poland, 
this is not yet so popular, I think. But I know Pumbaa, for example, has his Smog Brigade, and I recommend this to everyone, and not only in preparation for the Polish team championships, but just in general. I must say that the Polish community is very open to new players, so if you are new, don't be afraid to ask. Go out and have a beer with people you just played. Uh, they are the same nerds as us, just a bit more experienced. Also, do, do not get the wrong impression that bigger tournaments are for more experienced players. Quite on the contrary. Nothing will teach you better than a big event and facing a really skilled player. Agreed. I also find this interesting that the, the higher the level of the tournament, uh, the more transparent the games, uh, the, the more pleasure they give. I've had less pleasant games in a local tournament with players who are still learning, not knowing exactly what, what the rules were. Uh, who, who took my explanations and attempts at helping them as some sort of, I don't know, abuse or a way of me trying to cheat them. And paradoxically, uh, the higher the level, the easier it gets. Uh, there is an abundance of tournaments, both in Poland, uh, Europe and in the world. So, yeah, let's capitalize on that. Okay, Skark. Uh, talking about foreign tournaments, last question and I'll let you go. Will we see you in Atlanta? You will see me in Atlanta. Uh, right now, my efforts will go into gathering resources for that because it is quite an expense for someone from Poland. Uh, but I really want to go. Uh, although it is a completely different system of playing the game. They play win, draw, lose. They play uh, player plays terrain. All that is new to me. So, yeah, don't expect fireworks. If I get to 116th, I will probably call it a success. Uh, I still have not come up with an army to play at that event, but... Definitely it won't be Elder, you can trust me on that. Uh, but I see this as an opportunity to meet new people, meet some old friends, do something exceptional. Oh yeah, there will be plenty of people to meet because, as far as I know, they handed out lots and lots of those golden tickets. And since the tournament is in November, we can expect that the meta will also have shifted significantly by that time, as there is a balancing patch on the way, and so everything could turn upside down. One way or another, Skark, uh, fingers crossed. I thank you. I think I can speak in the name of the entire community. Thank you for the uh, incredible results, for opening up in this interview, and for sharing all the spicy details. And I really hope that we can do this again uh, after Atlanta and, yeah, see how you did. No problem. Uh, I'd also like to use this opportunity to thank the entire Polish community, which contributed largely to our success. All the tricks, uh, all the ideas, etc., that we stole from the Polish players, uh, those medals are for you as much as they are for us. And let's not stop here. Uh, let's be better and let's work collectively to repeat that success. I'm happy to give up my place on the team for another talented person like uh, Duda or Myson or Gito or, or anyone of equal skill and talent. Uh, that could be a player that we have not discovered yet. Well said, but this applies to the global community, I think. So let's wish ourselves that the 40k community grows and let's hope that the Polish national team sees new talent every year so we as Contact Lost can talk about it. Uh, as a matter of fact, this was the assumption of the podcast uh, from the very beginning. We wanted the world to see uh, that the Polish scene exists, that there is a, a 40k scene outside of the USA. And I think we can safely say mission accomplished, but mostly thanks to you. But uh, to all our listeners, the podcast is not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> mission accomplished, but we are not closing down. We will continue interviewing the Polish national team members. We will continue doing the summaries and all that 40k good stuff. So stay tuned. If you want to support us in doing so, 
head on to our Patreon that is going to be linked in the description of this video. Uh, pick a membership level that fits your preferences the most and get some perks like early access to some army master classes. We've done one with Pumbaa. Uh, I think we have one recorded with, uh, with Gitto, so the, for Necrons that will be released soon or has already been released at the time of releasing this one. Mm, you will be able to access our Discord that is growing slowly but efficiently. Um, you will get access to some gadgets and much, much more. So thank you in advance for your support. Uh, that will help us improve. That will help us get gear so that we, we when we go to events, we can work with our own gear this time or next time. Um, and yeah, and we will develop the podcast even further for you and for your viewing and listening pleasure. Uh, Scar, thanks a lot. Sorry for stealing so much of your time. And until next time. Thank you.